Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Dr. Naomi Wolf. She's the co-founder and CEO of Daily Clout, a successful civic tech company, and the author of several books, including The End of America, Letter of Warning to a Young Patriot, and Give Me Liberty, a Handbook for American Revolutionaries. She's a former Rhodes Scholar and completed a doctorate in English Language and Literature from the University of Oxford in 2015, was a research fellow at Barnard College and the University of Oxford, and taught rhetoric at the George Washington University and Victorian Studies at Stony Brook University. Today, she's here to talk about her new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Human. So, Naomi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. The first thing I wanted to do is congratulate you on this extraordinary book. I knew it was going to be good because I've read some of your previous work, but this one even surprised me based on that. I'm curious, where did you get the idea to call it the bodies of others? What does that mean? Um, Yeah, so I got the idea from a movie and a book about East Germany under the communists called The Lives of Others. And it's kind of a a reference to that because that's about a surveillance society in which a member of the Stasi listens in on ordinary people's private lives and what that does to his soul, which is kind of eats it away. And the subtitle is COVID-19, The New Authoritarians and the War Against the Human. But I definitely wanted to reference, you know, communism because one of the core tenets of the book is that our Western notions that what my body, you know, what decisions I make about myself, my life, my destiny are mine because of individual God-given human rights, that is being dissolved in the narrative around COVID and in, in a whole kind of Marxist or totalitarian 360 degree surveillance and policing system is is being implemented around the West and around the world under the pretext of the pandemic in, in such a way that the need to manage the bodies of others is the underlying 
argument that justifies totalitarian control, a, a culture of cruelty, of discrimination, and the institutionalization of a kind of grid of surveillance from which we'll never be allowed to leave. And I know when people hear things like that, the first words that they say are conspiracy theory, which it's a funny term because it, it almost implies <laughs> that, you know, alleging a conspiracy is just completely crazy. Like people never conspire. Right. But when you talk about who is behind all of this, well, let me ask you, who is behind all of this and what's motivating them? Yeah, fair question. Well, first, I have a section in The Bodies of Others about that exact point you raised. M much of my career, especially when I've started to critique these powers, I've been called a conspiracy theorist. And yet every single thing I've predicted has come true. Every single claim I've made that got me deplatformed or censored or, you know, targeted or smeared is accurate. And if people had listened, we wouldn't be here now. So the epithet conspiracy theorist is really has been weaponized to keep people from asking the kinds of questions that used to be called journalism, investigative reporting. And I am steadfast in looking for who is behind these changes we're seeing in history, because I have an unusual bio. Most nonfiction writers haven't advised a president, a president's campaign or a vice president, and I have. And, and I've also been a White House spouse married to a, a Clinton speechwriter. So I've seen very close up in very different circumstances the kinds of decision-making that goes on at the highest levels of, of government and of, of history. And absolutely, it is standard, and I give examples of this in the book, for people at the highest levels to choose an outcome, create a narrative to persuade people to let them reach that outcome. Often the narrative has nothing to do with the outcome, right, as with the COVID pandemic narrative, and, and to do it in such a way that there are no fingerprints and no press release and uh, multiple entities along on the same page, right? That's standard practice. That's why we have things like high-powered lawyers, you know, or cutouts. You know, I'm married to someone who was in military intelligence for 12 years and then in intelligence. And the, the notion that every single thing everyone does is right there with a signature and a press release is just very naive, the way the world and about how, you know, we move other countries through subversive means. Why would we think those means can't be done to us? It's absolutely standard practice and people have to kind of snap out of their naivete and be willing to ask, you know, who is behind this and, and, and stop, like, look where we are. You know, we the people who trusted the narrative are sick now or dying. The people who trusted the narrative, their children's learning is being aired. You know, the people who trusted the narrative, they've lost their businesses. You know, those of us who, who asked questions have been able better to protect ourselves and our families. So that's my answer to that. And now I'll tell you who's behind it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, definitely the scenario becomes <clears throat> pardon me, clearer by the day, but the key bad actors are basically, my argument is that in 2020 to 2022, a handful of transnational bad actors, these include the World Economic Forum, which has made no secret of, of its intentions, right? I mean, Klaus Schwab, but I thought, I too thought that was a conspiracy theory until I read Klaus Schwab's book and read his speeches. 
he told the Kennedy School of Government that, you know, he had puppets in multiple cabinets and parliaments around the world. And he does. Just into Ardern in New Zealand, Macron in France, Trudeau in Canada. Pardon me. These are World Economic Forum alumni. And so they are able to coordinate. And I'm, I'm a Rhodes Scholar, right? And it's not the same kind of organization, but it's very easy when you have an elite organization that's graduating talented young people every single year and putting them in a network of the most senior decision makers globally, it's very easy to seed them around the world and create create collective outcomes. It's not difficult at all. There's that. There's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who's, which I believe, based on sources I respect in the kind of world of diplomacy and, and intelligence, that he's a cat's paw for China or that they are closely aligned. So the Bill and Melinda Foundation has poured millions and millions of dollars into every aspect of this, whether it's investing directly in vaccines, mRNA vaccines, to Microsoft being invested in vaccine passport, to the presentation of some of the COVID charts, you know, COVID maps and dashboards that were supposed to persuade us of how horrible this whole thing was, you know, all the way to millions to K through 12 education and millions and millions and millions to our news outlets, the BBC, NPR, The Guardian for COVID education. We also have the Chinese Communist Party, which has again, made no secrets in their white papers that they want by 2049 to be the world's superpower. That's 100 years after the communists seized control of China. And so they want America not to be the world's superpower. They want our resources. They want our water and our food supply. And, and they wage war through what's called unrestricted warfare. And I've learned a lot about that. And again, I thought, you know, I've got to credit my, my husband for a lot of this information and his colleagues in the world of the analysis of geopolitical events. They, you know, and people like Frank Gaffney and General Spalding and Michael Sanger, this group of China watchers, they point out that China doesn't, like China thinks it's a failure to have a shooting war or a war where you have to drop bombs on your adversary. The way they prefer, and this is a time-honored part of their culture, and now the CCP's culture, they prefer to exhaust and demoralize an enemy through what we're seeing now, attacks on supply chains, attacks on culture, subversion of culture, confusing the population, you know, grid problems. Uh, it's, it's surrounding and exhausting them. And finally, it's called tenderizing the enemy too in, in military language. And so finally, the enemy is so worn out, so sick, so demoralized, so confused, that it's pretty easy ultimately to, you know, occupy or kill them, basically. And I, I believe, I certainly believe that that is happening. And I've got lots of evidence to present about that. And where I say Bill Gates is a cat's paw for China, you know, Bill Gates has been buying up all the farmland in America. So China wants our farmland, as I mentioned. They don't want our population. So this is a way to, you know, between the buying up of the farmland and the mRNA injections, which I'll get to, we're in a very vulnerable, we're not in a strong position as a superpower. Also aligned with that, there's the World Health Organization, which again, China and Bill Gates, you know, fund it significantly. And CCP has a board role on the World Health Organization that the director of the WHO is a, is a puppet of China. And so the WHO, you know, at the end of May, tried to create a transnational treaty 
to drain sovereignty of 190 nations and to create a, a treaty in which if they said there was a, a, a world health or a public health emergency, their agents, their military even, their mercenaries could appear on any country's soil that signed a treaty and decide what happened to people on the basis of that. And that was narrowly averted partly from, from resistance from African nations who know what slavery and call it, you know, colonization look like, but they, you know, their, their intentions haven't gone away. They want to dissolve the nation state because the nation state is inconvenient to these people. And we finally got tech companies who are companies like Google. Google is invested in vaccines. Google is also created, invested something called Baseline, which is where you sign in when you get a COVID test at CVS, which is a drugstore chain in America. And so they're harvesting all the data from this and all the DNA from this testing, testing, testing regime. Google also, you know, and these, these tech companies aligned in something called the COVID-19 response project at the very beginning of the, the pandemic, before we even knew how serious it was going to be, like March of 2020. And, but through their coordination, you know, we had lockdowns, which have never happened before in, in the West. That's something only a totalitarian regime does, or the Warsaw Ghetto, right? Restricting the assembly of citizens. But because we were locked down, all of our reality could be mediated via these tech companies. Also, Facebook is invested in vaccines and they benefit from the data when, as all you know, medical records get kind of externalized onto vaccine passports. That's the goal, right? Twitter, you know, deplatformed everyone who was a critic, including me, when I pointed out that, you know, women's menstrual cycles were being dysregulated after vaccination, which now there are two NIH CDC studies confirming that that is the case. But anyone who was a critic of, of this narrative got deplatformed, conservative voices got deplatformed. So all of these tech companies benefit, Amazon, you know, benefits mom and pop shop being crushed by by people having to you know order from amazon because they can't go outside they can't do their normal shopping they can't you know live normally because they're in lockdown so what you see from the tech companies is and i walk the reader through this is that not only did they support this narrative from the beginning and align so that everywhere you looked on google on facebook on twitter you would see the same warnings if there was misinformation or you would see the same kind of COVID-19 alerts or, you know, grading businesses depending on how COVID compliant they were, right? That came from the tech company. But also what, what happened was that all of these companies are up 20 to 25% net revenue in the last two years because people have not have had to turn, do all of their life online because of these restrictions and because the narrative created kind of a fear of other human beings and a fear of the outside world. So that's what they want. They want a world in which, you know, we don't worship in person because no data are being harvested. Our kids don't go to school because no data are being harvested. They're, you know, in distance learning. We, you know, we don't go to restaurants. We don't go to bars because no data are being harvested. Everything is done by a QR code because then data are harvested, which enriches tech companies. I'm a tech CEO. I, I know the business model. And you know, ultimately a vaccine passport, which means that they will own everything. They'll be more powerful than any nation state. And, and they've largely succeeded in, in creating that world, you know, without our even being aware of it. So those are the people behind the bulk of it. So there's a whole bunch of follow-ups there, but let me just start with China. So somebody like Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, other American and European elites 
And these people obviously think strategically or they wouldn't be billionaires or very wealthy. Why would they want to elevate China, which is very nationalistic, if they want to break down national borders or eliminate the nation state? How does that play into the ultimate plan? Well, I don't see it as elevating China. I see it as an alignment to make the world more like China. China is very nationalistic, but it's also, a, you know, it wants to colonize. For instance, it's in a, and it does it through economic partnerships and economic alliances. That's what it's done all over Africa, for example. So, and, you know, one could argue that the last 20 years, really since the Clinton era, when we accepted globalization and we let China become, you know, basically enslave its own citizens to create cheap products that the rest of the world got addicted to, China's engaged in kind of economic colonization because, you know, here we are. It, if China pulls the plug on manufacturing anything or refuses to ship it to us, we don't have a manufacturing base in America anymore. We can't, we can't be self-sustaining. So what I, I see, and I see this mistake being made all the time, is that, you know, global elites whom I know, right, like this used to be my world until they kicked me out when I started questioning these, <laughs> these. but like, these are my, fr my former friends, you know, I go to these, I went to these cocktail parties for, for decades, I mean, I know these people, they really think they're smarter than anyone else, and I'm talking about the, the, the you know, the, the hedge fund guys, the, you know, masters of the universe, the heads of the global nonprofits, the, you know, the, the heads of, of government agencies, they really think that they're smarter than anyone. And so I think their assumption was they could align with China and China's the muscle and they'll always be able to direct China. It, and also there's some racism there. You know, the China, they're a bunch of peasants. They can't be as sophisticated as, you know, we hedge fund guys who manage their money because, you know, these are inter interlocking relationships now. They're global relationships. China doesn't manage all its own money. Many of these hedge funds are invested in China. Black BlackRock and Vanguard are invested in China. But what what they assume is that they'll be able to kind of make the world like China and then be part of a global oligarchy, including you know some Chinese oligarchs and and you know heads of the CCP who are benefiting. But they you know. I think they're they're naive because of course history shows that they'll be the first people to be lined up against a wall and shot, you know, after the revolution. So that's the answer to that. I'm glad that you brought up your background because that was one thing I was going to ask you about. And I can't remember who said it, but somebody I was reading in the last month or so said, you know, it's one thing to have a pitchfork and be outside the wall storming the gates, and it's another to throw a chair through the window from the inside. So I'm glad you're doing this. And you can tell us firsthand what everyone suspects. I shouldn't say everyone suspects, because you also talk in your book about why most people are so resistant to what you just said, that, that it can't be that. Why is that? Well, I was resistant. I mean, if I hadn't seen all of the primary source documents to confirm what I just told you, I you know, I was resistant. I too assumed, you know, I too assumed that China couldn't be that strategic, right? But, you know, I've been persuaded by these China watchers that China thinks in terms of generations, not in terms of, you know, four-year stints like we do in the West. And they also are ruthless, right? And we're not yet ruthless. So, 
they harvest organs. They put Uyghurs in concentration camps. They force women to have abortions. You know, with you know, they lock now thousands of people in their homes because of you know zero COVID policies. So I think we have to kind of wake up when it comes to China, certainly, and realize that you know Nazism isn't gone. It's just changed its its face, totalitarianism. There's a brutal, vicious Nazi-like totalitarian regime, and I'm Jewish, and my grandmother lost nine brothers and sisters in the Holocaust, so I don't say this lightly. But, you know, it's like being in 1933. We have to realize that there is a global predator, and they're getting more and more powerful at our expense. But you don't want to, you don't want to believe it, because look at the world we had before 2020. Things were awesome. You know, in America, we had a, what we thought was a stable democracy. Yes, we had arguments here and there. Yes, there were things that could be improved, but we had freedom. We had a robust economy. Who would want to believe that we're in an existential fight to, to keep the shreds of that instead of just, oh, well, this is a pandemic. It's been tough, but things will bounce back. No one wants to believe. That's the nature of denial. And when it comes to our own I mean, I fully believe that our own government is now a hostage to the CCP. And I believe that the, and I voted for the Biden administration, right? So it's not easy to say, but Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, it's just basic diplomacy math. If a senior member of the Chinese intelligence community gives your son $3.2 million and then you get elected president, you know, you're not really at liberty to not do what they say. And so the policies this administration has inflicted on the American people since the beginning of, of their being elected are so abusive. You know, all, like if you read events backward, which is what I was taught to do as a political consultant, meaning look at the outcome because the story is meaningless, right? They, they just make the stories up. So you always look at the outcome. Well, look at the outcome. Look at where we are. Our borders are open hundreds of, of thousands of people have poured into our southern border, tens of thousands of them fighting age men from Ukraine and Afghanistan, according to my sources. You have our neighbor to the north declared martial law, you know, and then kind of backed off, but there were unnamed mercenaries beating peaceful Canadian protesters over the border. You have food disruptions, baby formula disruptions, People are worried about, you know, how will they feed their babies? You have doubling of the cost of energy through a, a, an avoidable policy, right? A, like you could foresee that the decisions the Biden administration was making would spike the price of energy. You, you have interest rates about to go up. You have a population, especially that's being injected again and again and again forcibly from the top down, right? These mandates are from the top down, from the president down. The president speaking abusively and in a bullying way to his own people, which American presidents have never done, about you have to, you know, you have to get injected, you have to take these mandates, we're losing patience with you. Yeah. I've, I've got 3,000 experts going through the Pfizer documents released under court order and the harms and deaths and neurological disorders and heart attacks and strokes and blood clots and, you know, contaminated breast milk and you know, babies going to seizures and dying and, you know, people dying on the same day they were injected. I mean, the harms are catastrophic, right? The data are in from anyone paying attention in alternative sources about what's in the Pfizer documents. I 
I have seen these documents, right? I, I've got 23 firsthand reports created by these volunteers who are doctors and nurses and biostatisticians and medical fraud investigators. You can read them all on dailycloud.io. That's, that's warfare, right? There, people are dropping dead. Our population, you know, reproduction is being targeted. You know, these nanoparticles traverse the placenta, you know, the polyethylene glycol is now entering breast milk and babies are inconsolable or failing to thrive if their mothers are vaccinated. Breastfeeding has gone down from 34% to 14% in the pandemic. You know, we, the Journal of Andrology reported yesterday, these vaccines depress sperm count and sperm motility. You know, there's a baby die-off in Scotland, double the number of neonatal deaths, a highly vaccinated country. In 2021, in Ontario, Canada, 86 babies dead, you know, when they usually have five or six in Israel, 34% higher rates of neonatal deaths or spontaneous miscarriages among vaccinated versus unvaccinated mothers. These ingredients, and now they're going after the kids and they're going after the kids. I mean, I literally talk all day long to try to save people from this. The, the, the ingredients, the levels they're gonna put in children are 50 to 100 micrograms of the active ingredients, lipid nanoparticles, the spike protein, and the internal documents show that that's a toxic amount for adults, that that's a toxic amount for adults. And they had to drop it internally because it was too much. There were too many adverse events at 100 micrograms. The adult, the adult level of Pfizer was 30 micrograms. And then teens was 10. And then the older kids was three micrograms. So now they're going to give 50 to 100 micrograms to babies and un to under fives. This is war. This is war and, and we have to wake up. So I guess that's my, my, my answer to you. Like, why would, wh why would people not want to believe it? I don't want to believe it, but the evidence is now overwhelming. I, I would love to go back to my pre-2020 world, but if we don't recognize what's happening, if we remain in denial, our kids will not be well, you know, or they will die. Our, 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 you know, we won't be free and we're barely free now. Like right now, people don't even know that President Biden extended emergency powers in an open-ended way. We are under emergency powers in America. That means that that's a coup, right? That's not a democracy. I think 28 states on a state level still have emergency law. New York state has emergency law. And the, my own governor in the state where I live can at any moment close all the businesses again. She can keep all the kids home from school again, and she can do what she's trying to do. And they tried to do it in Washington state, pass regulation to create quarantine camps where they can hold us indefinitely if we've been exposed to a bloodborne pathogen pending a court order. So like, what do I need to, I, I feel like a little bit like kind of Paul Revere. No, that's too grandiose, but I feel a little bit like, you know, the the guy with the albatross, he was saying, I mean, what do you need to see before you realize? It, it, and, I, you know, my heart goes out to, to, you know, Jews in Germany who were affluent, respected citizens of what was supposed to be a democracy. And they were watching these thugs in the streets and saying things like, well, this will pass. You know, they, my neighbors will never turn on me. You know, this is an, an aberration. I, I think it's human to want a nightmare like this to go away. And I guess the last thing I would say is we've never seen, you know, crimes on this scale before. I mean, even Nazism didn't succeed. That, that was confined to, you know, some geographical areas around the world. 
the target, and this is why my subtitle is, you know, the war against the human, the target right now is all of humanity. And all of humanity is, is being coerced into receiving these, these mRNA. Why, why do, you know, why do they have to inject every person on the planet? I looked up the website for the manufacturers of the lipid nanoparticles and the lipid nanoparticle base, which is part of every COVID vaccine, also provides a base for CRISPR, which is Bill Gates' darling technology, gene editing technology. So the lipid nanoparticles change your body so that you can receive CRISPR gene editing. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. I want to talk about the problem with the vaccine passport, apart from the vaccine itself in a second. It's funny that you mentioned the children. And I guess to me, it's kind of like at some point, a reasonable person who's not into politics and, you know, is resistant to the idea that anyone's out to get them, the way that they're so emphatic, no, the children have to be injected when the experience of American parents are that they don't know any children who have ever died from this or been seriously ill. I think the number I saw the other day was something over a little over a thousand kids and not to say that that's not terrible, but in a country of 330 million with, I don't know, 80, 90 million children, this is statistically zero. So right. you would think it would trigger something to people to say, why are you so interested in this? You seem awfully insistent right. that we do this. And, and in most other cases, people will go, oh, 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 wait, you know, and it's, I don't know. Do you have an idea why that trigger is not occurring? I mean, I go into it in detail in the book, you know, the bodies of others, excuse me, people have been brainwashed, you know, targeted with relentless 24 seven propaganda for two years. If they read the New York times, just pure lies. And if they watch CNN or MSNBC, and my mom lets me use her as a test case, she's an example of a thoughtful, well-educated woman who, you know, was was just watching, you know, listening to NPR, listening to Rachel Maddow, and went into such a state of terror. Um, and this was, you know, so many elderly people I know 
like wouldn't leave their homes. They were so afraid and, and, and now have become fully agoraphobic. Not my mom, thank God, because I managed to bring her a lot of evidence that broke through the, a lot of propaganda. But when I'm not around her, you know, she goes back into it because the, the messaging is so relentless and deceptive. For, for instance, we're in Oregon right now. I'm visiting her and in Oregon, that you know, the, the front page of the Oregonian has constant kind of spike in COVID, spike in COVID, 20% spike in COVID. Well, when you do the fine print, as I know how to do, you realize that A, the governor here is defining COVID as presenting with a cough or a fever. And B, the, the numbers are so tiny that a 20% spike is going from, you know, eight to 10 cases. Right. And so math <laughs> properly, you find out that even at the height of the pandemic here in Oregon, the deaths with COVID, because they changed how you reported deaths so that they moved it down to the cause of death being final, being COVID, as, as opposed to contributing in case you had a positive PCR test, but you died of a car accident or you died of cancer, or, you know, some other cause. But anyway, even there, it was, it always comes in below below the top 10. So it always comes in lower than suicide or lower than opioid overdoses. So it's not even, even at its worst, even with all the games they played to inflate the numbers, COVID was never, it was never, it never met the, the Webster's definition of a pandemic, which is widespread disease and death over a large swath of geography. It just didn't. So but but the trouble is, you know, there's such relentless propaganda. And then these people are so clever at casting kind of and lying and saying, if you don't, you know, if you don't inject yourself, if you don't inject your child, you're, you're harming other people, or you could, you know, your child could invisibly transmit to someone who's immunocompromised, you could kill them. Well, or, you know, you have to wear your mask in order to show respect for other people. You could harm other by breathing instead of what we used to do, which is let people make their own risk judgments and open windows and you know decide for themselves how much risk they wanted to expose themselves to. So as a result of all of this, people really, like I, I know parents who literally want to get their kids injected because they don't, they don't want their child to be ostracized or they don't want their child to be you know left out of play dates. There are other high schools I've been to where kids are, told they have to get injected in order to play after school sports and those kids need you know college scholarships you know m people I love won't be allowed to go back to university in the fall unless they have boosters and the parents these are like influential wealthy parents and I'm like where are the parents stopping this including me right and we're all scared too because we don't want the university to take it out on our kids that's what America has turned into in two years each China style like punishment society that we're scared of. We're scared of the authorities. And that's not America. That's not the world we used to have before 2020. So I would say that the parents who don't hesitate, they're brainwashed, they're in a cult. And also the cult has created uh, subcults in which people exclude and punish the other members of the cult if they don't comply with every single thing the cult requires over and over and over. It's funny because in addition to the, how terrifying this is, there's, there's a bizarre quality to some of it. And you mentioned, you know, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of years it's been the custom, but people in masks are not to be trusted. What Andre the Giant said that in The Princess Bride. And now people without masks are not to be trusted. That's just, 
that's almost Monty Python-esque kind of bizarre twist, but not to make any light of that, because I think the mask thing is sinister too. Hey, I know you've got a company to run, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want to ask you, as the CEO of a tech company, there's one thing with, okay, you're required to get a vaccine, that's bad enough. Then you're required to present proof. But why is it especially alarming that they want to make the passport electronic? Yeah, thank you for asking. So if, you know, if it was just a piece of paper, there's a, a limit to the damage, right? But in March of 2021, when I first heard the phrase vaccine passport, and I saw that it was going to be digital, I did start to warn the world, this is the end of freedom as we know it, if we let this happen. And I was right. The vaccine passport rolled out in Israel and in all over Europe and in Canada, and it has been used as a tool to, 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 you know, to transform those societies in a way that is much more like the China-style social credit system. So the reason digital is so dangerous is that, first of all, it's the model is a subscription model, right? And again, there are like three basic business models in, in tech. There's data, there's attention, and there's subscriptions. And and so this is a, clearly a subscription model. A paper document, I guess you could put an end date on it, but with a digital subscription, you can turn it off at any time. And so as you see in China, people are having their green passes or their the equivalent of their vaccine passes switched off when they protest outside of a bank, right? You know, it's, it's a, a perfect way to control a population. But also when it's digital, you can load other functionalities onto it with no problem at all. Like literally in 20 minutes, you can add everyone's healthcare records. You can add everyone's credit score. You can add a score based on AI reading what you say on social media. So you're, you know, this conservative or this liberal, or you criticize the president and, you know, and, and, or you can be prevented from stepping onto public transportation. You can be prevented from leaving your house with a, a digital passport. And the other thing it does is it harvests data from you everywhere you go, because you can never sign out of it, right? The point I try to make with other apps is that you have the choice to sign in or sign out or not ever download that app. But with a vaccine passport, you don't have the choice. So everywhere you go, it's geo, you know, geo-tracking you, geolocating you if you sign your QR code because you have to at a restaurant or because they have no menus. So you have to, you know, scan your phone. It's, it's creating a, a digital record of everyone who's at that table, who's also, you know, swipe their QR code and creating networks of relationships that can then be used to just scoop up dissidents or surveil or switch off dissidents that may want to, you know, reclaim the freedoms, for instance. So it, it is the beginning of the end and it's, it played out exactly the way I warned people. And I think people should remember what's a dissident today might not be the same as a dissident tomorrow. They usually start with people everyone hates. And right. then the circle or the, the net starts to get wider and wider and wider. And things that you think are perfectly normal today might not be in their plans tomorrow. And suddenly you can't get on the bus because you do X, Y, or Z with your child. They don't like the totally. way you raise them. So just terrifying. Tom, um, can I just say you're exactly right. But one reason it's so scary to me knowing the history of totalitarianism is I do that they are so focused on the kids and on schools and on introducing these like weird curricula that interpose the state between children and their parents. They, they want to break up the 
family role. They want to raise kids who see the state as more of a, a shelter and authority than their own parents. And the last step is they take away your kids um, or they threaten to take away your kids. And people are already are losing custody of their children because they object to the other parent vaccinating them. You know, and I guess we could finish with this. One of my throwaway lines all the time is that every communist since Plato has wanted to take the kids away from the parents and have them educated by the state. And I'll tell you what was so surprising about your book. I had a prejudice when I went into reading it that, okay, I, I remember her and we had spoken at the same event for Ron Paul back in the 2000s when it was the war on terror, when it was yeah. at least a little bit turned outward. And we always said it's going to someday it's going to come back to be turned on us. But I had this prejudice, like she's a liberal, she's going to be strong on the Bill of Rights, but going to be anti-capitalist and going to somewhere in this book find that too much capitalism was the problem. Kind of exactly the opposite from <laughs> after I actually read the book. What What is it you have to say about capitalism and is it too much capitalism that's causing us or something else? Yeah, you know, you're so right. As a liberal, I was really indoctrinated about the flaws of capitalism. And certainly capitalism has flaws. We don't want to, you know, we don't want Dickens reality in which children are working in blacking factories instead of going to school. But seeing how capitalism, especially small businesses, small landlords were intentionally crushed. And I have a chapter on this in the bodies of others and seeing how without independent means of making a living, people are helpless. I, I now believe that with all of its flaws, capitalism is the only guarantor of people being able to be free and to resist the tyranny of the state. So that's an evolution of mine. And, and I, I have to credit Jeffrey Tucker and the American Institute of Economic Research, which made me a fellow, a research fellow. And so I was exposed to economists and understood the, the ways in which capitalism and freedom are really linked and and you know and then in the last two years i witnessed it myself i mean i'm running a business and i'm a you know tiny landlord as a single mom i scrimped and saved to as a broke single mom i scrimped and saved for 12 years to you know have that one little rental property as a security for my old age and i watched you know this pandemic the cdc was given powers to not eject to not evict tenants who are not paying rent and, and so, who, you know, for six months. So who can hold on in that time? Not small landlords who are first-generation immigrants or, you know, single parents or, you know, small middle-class scrimpers and savers. They were forced to sell their assets at a fire sale and they got scooped up by BlackRock. And, and you know, 9% of the, of the residential market now, you know, was, was, was pried away from small landlords and, and scooped up at a like 20% discount by these institutional investors. As Klaus Schwab promised, you'll own nothing, you'll be happy. And, you know, and I just saw like with the food supply, if we don't have small farmers, we, we're going to be all, you know, at the mercy of lining up for a cup of soup from the state and doing anything. You know, if we don't have the way to make a living, you know, if in, we're all dependent on universal basic income or unemployment, we will not be able to resist, oh, you have to get an injection in order to receive your check. So uh, yes, I evolved about capitalism. I wasn't even sure that that was a recent evolution, but I'm glad to hear it. And this lockdown, again, just because it benefits very wealthy people, that's not capitalism. Just like in 2008, when they're bailing out Citibank and Goldman Sachs, 
all us rabid market people were saying, no, let them go bankrupt, you know, let them take yeah. some losses. And maybe that would pop that bubble they live in that makes them think that they can tell us how we should live as well. Well, Naomi, I, I know, again, I want to let you go and run your company, Daily Clout. We'll link to the website on the show notes page, of course, also to the bodies of others. I want to thank you for spending the time with me and writing this fabulous book. Everyone listening, I highly recommend it. Packed with tons of information, backed up with the notes to prove it. So well done. Thank you so much, Mr. Mullen. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget that if you haven't already, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. There's all kinds of additional content there, including my online courses, the first of which has already been uploaded and a lot more to come. So that's patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Also, if you haven't downloaded a free copy of my ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, then just go to itsthefedstupid.com and download a free copy for yourself. It's also available in paperback at that link. And finally, if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.